This morning is the third Sunday in uh, Advent, and I think you may have guessed what our scripture is going to be. It's the same one that we've had for the last two weeks. Pretty soon, I think we'll be able to all recite it by heart. Won't that be good? (laughs) But we're looking at Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start reading in verse 8. The verses that we're focusing on are verses 10 and 11, but I'll just um, uh, read through 14. I I was afraid this morning when we went to Hampstead Baptist Church that Pastor Joey was going to steal my thunder because he preached on the same passages. (laughs) But I thought, isn't it wonderful that all around the world, In these days, people are looking at this scripture and are examining it, and they're looking at it from so many wonderful different ways, and it's so rich and so powerful that it, you know, who knows how many different sermons come out of this same scripture at this time of year, in how many different languages and in different countries around the world. Just That's just an interesting thought, kind of. Uh, expands my horizons when I think about it. Um, But today we're going to be looking at a God who apparently surprises people. And uh, let's take a look at that. Here in chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Well, I... uh, I was looking again at this event with the angels. And I'm thinking, um, what a God of surprises. These shepherds had no idea of what was going to happen. They're just out in the field by night, watching over their flocks. Who knows, maybe they're sitting around talking a little bit. Maybe they've got a little fire going, I don't know. I don't think they were roasting marshmallows. I don't think they had been invented back then. And I still don't think they know a whole lot about marshmallows in that part of the world either. But in any case, here God suddenly shows up. An angel appears. It it happens in in the twinkling of an eye. This angel's there. They're, They're shocked. You can imagine this incredible event. The angel's there and makes this announcement that is the the culmination of uh, what God's plan is for. And I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, um, is there no lead time? He just sort of announces, for today, this day, for this day, 
is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He says, I, don't be afraid. You know, I've got good news of great joy for all the people. <laughs> because this day, I'm going, you know, can't you sort of give us a little bit of lead time? You know, can't you really sort of help us out a little bit here that, and, and not just surprise us with what's happening today? You know, I mean, I mean, what is this? Is this a last minute thing that you sort of forgot about God and you sort of had to find somebody that was going to listen and so you found some shepherds out here and, and, and announced this great event that's going to be for all people, all time, throughout the whole earth. <laughs> did, 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 didn't you have a better plan to organize this? That, and, and, and suddenly, just because Jesus was born, you, you got to do something. So you just show up to shepherds out on the hillside. I mean, it does seem kind of strange that God sort of, is, is he a surprise kind of God? Is he a, a God who, who works spontaneously? And, and it seems like in that, this whole story, it was kind of like that, wasn't it? I mean, Zechariah uh, goes into the temple and he's just doing his, his job as, as a priest in the temple and an angel shows up and talks to him. Or Mary is just this young girl minding her own business and suddenly she's surprised by an angel. I mean, is God this kind of spontaneous, disruptive? I mean, this is strange. I, I mean, some people like surprises. I, 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 I remember sometimes having to get to know my wife after we first got married that when I would surprise her with something, she would go, you should have given me a little bit of lead time on this. You should have let me know what you were planning so I could prepare. <laughs> and I thought, but that kind of robs us of the surprise. And, and I, I got to thinking about this whole event that he waited until the last moment of the day that Jesus was born to make an announcement. In the evening, by surprising, unsuspecting shepherds out in the field. I got to thinking about this day. This day. God showed up on the day to make an announcement. He says, this day. I got to thinking about all the times in the Bible where it talks about now, this day, today. I got to thinking about how God has a different understanding of what time is about. And basically, he lives in the present. God is always present. He always lives in the now. He doesn't live in the past. He knows what the past is. He knows what the future will be. But if you're going to meet God, you're going to meet him now. 
If you're going to have an encounter with God, it's not something you're going to sit down and plan for weeks in advance. It's something that when God shows up, he's having time with you right now. His whole concept of who he is, is a God of the now. I put up a a picture on Facebook this morning because I found this lovely verse in uh, Isaiah 33, verse 10, which says, Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. He's not talking about future. He's not talking about past. He says now is the time. And you start thinking about all the different verses that start coming up in this crazy situation that appears to be almost humorous, suddenly appearing this big announcement to insignificant people about the greatest event to date in the history of mankind. Why does God wait until the last possible moment? Did he not find anyone to listen to him when he finally remembered there was something else left to do? Does God always work so spontaneously as though he forgot something important until the last moment in time? And then has to find some crazy way to do something? That sounds more like me than God. (laughs) I do things like that. I forget Things I forget. I, I have to hurry up at the last minute to get something done. That doesn't sound like God. As a matter of fact, when I start looking at the day, as we examine this scenario around the Christmas event, we begin to see that God always works mighty things in the now. He shows up and encounters people right where they live in the time that they're living. It's not just something that God encountered us back when. He is available listening to us now. Let's just take a look at Moses at the Red Sea. He needs God now. The people are against him. The enemy is coming up. It looks like a sure sign of destruction. And he says, God, I need you now. He lifts up his staff and a sea is parted. Never happened before. Never happened since. And you've got people, a whole country passing through on dry land. And all of Pharaoh's army is destroyed when the waters close. On top of them. (laughs) The people that were there experienced God in the now. When I look at uh, Daniel in the lion's den, the angel shows up and shuts the mouths of the lions while he's in the now den of lions. But when his accusers are thrown in, suddenly the lions are hungry. (laughs) Somebody opened their mouths, I guess. Elijah up on Mount Carmel, when he has the 400 prophets of Baal that he confronts, God shows up in the now, doesn't just, 
He drenches the altar with water and everything else to, and to prove a point. And the whole altar, not just the wood on top of it that's soaking wet, the whole altar is consumed when God shows up in the now and destroys the credibility of the enemy. When I, uh, the spiritual enemy, when Jonah goes into Nineveh, where he knows this is a, a, a city of evil people and proclaims half a gospel, says, you know, 40 days and God's going to destroy you. The whole city repents in sackcloth and ashes. God shows up in the now. When I look at uh, Gideon and his 300 going against thousands of people and they just stand around the enemy camp and, and break their jars and let the light shine. They don't bother doing anything. The enemy falls on themselves and, and dissipates. All they do is stand there. You'd think that the enemy would take one of them out, but they doesn't because God showed up that very night right then and there. God works in the now. David goes out to meet Goliath. And Goliath meets his end because God is greater with one little boy. God always seems to work in the present tense and he needs us to know he's available for us right now. <laughs> it's not that I want to pray and say, oh God, have you got time? Could you meet with me in about three weeks at, say, 3.30 on a Tuesday afternoon? That's not the listening ear of a great and mighty God. When I begin to look at it throughout Scripture, I see that this is the day. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And that's true every day I wake up. His mercies are new every morning. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When is the day of salvation? You can't get around that the time of salvation is now. When I, when I begin to look at um, how, how faith and hope and love abide in 1 Corinthians 13, what do I read? But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love found in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now, when, when do I look for faith and when do I look for hope? When do I look for love? The answer is now. Every time I come in great need, when will I encounter God? God's response to me is, I want to meet with you now. My, my desire is for now. Now, I do understand um, that there is a conjunction. A conjunction is a word that puts two parts of a sentence together um, that is also the word now. It's not only now in terms of time, 
But I still like to think about this when I look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the substance or the certainty or the assurance of things hoped for, the proof, the conviction, the evidence of things that's not seen. I, I look at that and it says, the word now there is actually a conjunction, meaning since or because faith is there, we have this assurance. But I still love the word now that is used in all of the translations. Now, faith. Faith is something that is required and needed in our lives, not tomorrow and not yesterday, now. Uh, I heard a guy preach on now faith once, and I thought it was interesting because I, I struggled at the time when he was preaching on it, knowing that the word now in that context is a conjunction, meaning something other than time. And yet there was something in the midst of that, of that that said, you know, we really need to have faith that rises up inside of us in the now. Our faith needs to be continuous and growing in the now. Then one of the things that I think is absolutely um, incredible is to know what it says in Hebrews 7, 25. It says, therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's present tense. He's right now praying for us, for each one of us, right now. He is interceding on your behalf before his Father, and guess whose prayers the Father always answers? <laughs> Never was a prayer that Jesus prayed that the Father didn't answer. Not one. And I sit there and I think, He is praying for you now. That's an incredible understanding that, that God's desire for us is that we live in consciousness of our faith being renewed within us right now, and it has immediate effect and results in all aspects of our lives. When God started to work in this event in Luke chapter 2, we need to understand that we can't confuse God working in the present as being spontaneous are coming up with a last-minute uh, surprise because he forgot something. Rather, the whole Scripture, beginning in Genesis, we start to see that God has worked to prepare us for the coming of his Son, and through prophecy over prophecy, through hundreds of years in preparation, leading through the whole entire Old Testament, he begins to describe in detail what's going to happen. The city in which 
Jesus is going to be born, what his purpose is, why he's going to come, what he's going to accomplish, and how he's going to do it forever for all people in all generations throughout the whole world. That is clear throughout the Old Testament. It's not something that God thought up at the last minute, but he started in preparation and he waits until the time is right. And in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, when the time was fulfilled, when the time was right, that's when he sent forth his son to be born of a virgin. He waited until the right time in history. And he prepared a people for it all this time. He was working on it strategically. He's got it all worked out down to the last detail. He's going to come out of Egypt too. (laughs) Isn't that interesting that that when Herod finds out about Jesus being born and he goes into Bethlehem and, and starts killing off all the children under the age of five, that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in Egypt? Even that detail. Imagine what God had to work through strategically in order to prepare for all this to come about. You see, if Joseph is in an inconsequential town called Nazareth, out of which nothing good has ever come, and he's betrothed to Mary, who's pregnant somehow by God, how does he get them to Bethlehem on time? (laughs) Well, you just arrange to have Caesar, Augustus, and Quirinius and have have some kind of, you know, counting of all the people. Let's have, let's get all the people counted and send them all back to the place where they come from. And because Joseph came from the lineage of David, he had to make his way to Bethlehem. Can you imagine the things that God is working about and the people that he has to work through in order to arrange all of the prophecies to come to pass that he's spoken of throughout all of the Old Testament? I mean, this is not an accident that he chooses inconsequential, apparently inconsequential shepherds to be the first to know. But he who has come to save all of mankind, if he had come at the top echelons of society to the, quote, spiritual elite, then people like you and me would never get the idea that we could be saved. We would think that's only for special people rather than for the people who are the lowliest and includes everybody. No, he didn't at the last minute decide this. He made sure that those shepherds were on that hillside on that night because he wanted to make the greatest announcement to them. He chose them. They didn't know it, but he chose them. He is a strategic God who thinks things out and prepares the world in order for his plans to be fulfilled. 
And then he comes and he does it in a powerful, magnificent way so that people of every culture, nation, stratus of society read the same Bible verse about the same shepherds year after year after year. Even though we don't know their names, they are famous to us. 2,000 years later. That's incredible, isn't it? When you think about it, that's incredible. These shepherds that were nobodies (laughs) suddenly become the people who have been the first to hear the announcement of the greatest event. Well, um, God executes the plan on time in the proper sequence to bring about the greatest result. And when he says the time is now, this is the day, you better believe it's now and it's the day. Think about your own life for a minute. Think about all the things that God has to move around. I remember when I was a young boy, my mother asked me one day if I didn't want to grow up and become an evangelist and a missionary like my father. And my response was, no way. I don't want to do that. And then think about how God had to go through a whole series of things to break me, to see the sin in my life till I was willing to bend a knee and ask Jesus to come into my life. I had to go from from the time when I was a child and and living off my parents' faith to a point where I had my own faith. But when the time came, and I spent the whole night praying through, crying out to God to forgive me of the sins, and I listed my sins one after the other, asking God if it was possible to remove that sin from my life. And then I get up off my knees after praying the whole night and I have peace with God in my heart that I hadn't experienced before. The time was now. But he had to go through a whole series of things to get me to that point just to answer my mother's prayer. My mother never lived to see the day when I left the United States to go to Britain. It wasn't something that she ever saw. But God answered her prayer. I sit there sometimes and I I sit there in amazement that my mother prayed faithfully that something would happen in the life of her wayward son. But the question that she put to me when I was a boy, and even after I got saved, I didn't want to become a missionary. People would ask me, don't you want to go to Germany and use your German for the Lord? And I would say, no, I've had enough of languages. I don't want to learn any more languages. I'm fine here. (laughs) And then he still had to break me to get me overseas to the point where I was willing. I look at how God works and is patient with us. And each one of us has a story that when we look back, we say, didn't God do all these things to bring us to the point where we are now? Didn't God strategically work within our lives? 
and there was breaking and there was forgiveness and there was a a need and God met with us and that we have now experiences with the living God who cleanses our lives from sin, redeems our lives from destruction, crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. What an incredible God. What an incredible God. That's why when I begin to see all the things that God did to prepare for the coming of Jesus, both throughout the Old Testament and up to the moment when he made the announcement to the shepherds, it's all part of his incredible plan that he carries out. It may have been a surprise to them, just as my salvation was a surprise to me. But the truth is, It was God's intention all along to draw us into his heart so he could pour out his love into our lives. (laughs) He wants us to encounter Jesus just as he wanted the shepherds to encounter Jesus. And isn't it interesting that at the end when they start glorifying God, all they said was, you'll find them wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, (laughs) and then they just start glorifying God, there's no altar call. There's no altar call. There's no saying, you're a sinner, you need to repent, will you come down? I see your hand, we're going to pray for you, will you pray this? No, there was none of that. It was just, it was left open. But the encounter was so powerful. The encounter that these shepherds had, they said, let's go find out. Let's go see for ourselves. The response, the challenge to the shepherds when they met the angels, their surprise, their overwhelming encounter leads them to say, I need to go find out. For myself. Let's go. Let's go see what God's done. You see, God shows up in our now and still leaves us with the decision whether we're going to walk with Him or not. Those shepherds could just have easily said, well, let's just stay here and enjoy the afterglow of the glory that we just saw. And they could have missed everything about meeting Jesus. And the same choice is true for all of us. When God shows up and he wants to meet with us, he gives us opportunities of encounters with him that release within us incredible joy and and a realization that our faith is being fulfilled and realized. We can enjoy all of that if we'll turn and meet with him. The choice is left to us, to you, to me. And that is one of the most amazing things 
about this whole story, when I look down that these, these shepherds made a decision, let's go. Let's go find out for ourselves. God shows up in your life. He's here right now. And he leaves the decision to you what you will do with that. And as we choose to follow him, we will encounter an understanding of God's great plan. Not only that he has for us, but he continues continues to have for us. We're not too old and we're not put off on the side because of our age. God will still meet with us and use us in his kingdom. Amen.